Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. It's been a joy to preach through some of the stories in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. We're going to look one more time at a story we typically look at this time of year. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, as we look at the story of the wise men. The hymn, We Three Kings, was written some years ago, and we mentioned this, I think, in one of our sermons, but these men weren't necessarily kings, and we don't even know if there was three of them. We're going to read this story in just a moment, but it just simply says, the wise men, the Greek word there is the magi, and we just kind of try to translate it the best that we can. Well, where do we get the idea of the three kings? Well, as we read in just a moment, we're going to find out that these men brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We really don't know how many wise men there were. It could have been three, it could have been ten, could have been twelve, I, I don't know. We don't necessarily know what country they came from besides the east, and if I look at a map and kind of look east, that narrows it down a little bit. As I studied, and others a whole lot smarter than me have studied, my hunch, if you pinned me down and told me to guess, I would guess that these men heard of Jesus, or at least heard of Judaism and some of the prophecies of the Old Testament, because remember something that happened several hundred years before this was that the country Babylon took the nation of Israel into captivity and enslaved them. Remember that for 70 years when you go back and read the book of Daniel and you read about King Nebuchadnezzar and you read about those things in the Old Testament. My hunch is that maybe these men somehow got copies or at least heard the stories from the Jewish people and that's how they knew about we saw the star and we knew about Micah the prophet who talks about this one coming who's going to be born in in Bethlehem. These guys, I think, at least were students of Scripture. They knew something about the Old Testament prophecy. They were smart enough to figure out how to follow a star. What star was it? Is it, that, is it Jupiter and all that that we see right now in the sky? I have no idea. We call it the star that we see right now. Some of you have seen the planet. We call it the Christmas star today. Maybe it was. All I know is that the Bible says God did use a star so that these wise men could find their way to Jesus. We know that as we read the story, we're going to find that they didn't come to the manger, although we show the wise men a lot of times at the manger with their camels, and and we show them at the manger. They weren't there. The reason we know that is because it talks about specifically Jerusalem, which wasn't far from Bethlehem. And it also says in the Bible that when the wise men came, it uses the word the house. So Mary and Joseph were at least around somewhere, but not in the manger anymore. We also know approximately how old Jesus was because of Herod, which we'll say a lot more about later. But Herod, remember, wanted to have all the children, all the boys under two years old, killed. And the Bible says that Herod picked that time because he ascertained from the wise men how old this baby was. So based on what they told him, he said, well, let me make sure I cover it and make sure I can get him killed. I'm going to kill everybody, all the babies, two years old and younger. The wise men came from great distance. No doubt the wise men had some discomfort. 
maybe even some danger, I don't know. But for whatever reason, they chose to follow a star to find the Savior. I believe today we're going to see, in this story, you're going to see a lot of characters. You're going to see the wise men, you're going to see Herod, you're going to see Mary and Joseph, and you're going to see baby Jesus. Among all the characters in the story, as I read the story, and I look at Matthew chapter 2, I believe the center point of the story is God himself. And I want to look today at what God is doing in this story, as we look at what God is doing in this story. With that said, let's read the passage together. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 and read about half of this chapter, and we'll read some of it later. So follow along with me as I read it out loud for us. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. Watch this. And have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Apparently he didn't know this Bible as good as he should, maybe. He had to ask them. Verse 5, and they told him in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. For it is so written by the prophet, and he quotes Micah, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, watch what he says, that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, look at it, and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Here they are, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. In the story of the wise men and all these characters, I believe as we look at it, what strikes me so greatly is is God working in the midst of all this story. And today I want to share with you three things about God working in this story. Point number one is this, God is working to bring people to worship him. Point number one, God is working to bring people to worship him. When the wise men through all their travels, when they finally make it to the place, when they finally make it to Jerusalem, what do they tell Herod? We we saw his star when it rose, 
and they simply said they've come to worship him. They knew there was something special going on. They knew Jesus was a king. As we read it, I pointed out specifically that the word worship happens and it pops up a few times. The Gospel of Matthew uses the word worship more than the rest of the Gospels. Matthew's trying to, to teach us something about what it is to, to worship God. When we talk about what is worship, worship carries the idea of showing some, someone what their worth is. Uh, you could say pay homage to. It means to bow down. It, it means to show this one I am worshiping is one of value. They came to worship him. I can't help but think of the scripture that says, seek for me and find me when you search with all your heart. When I think about these wise men, they weren't taking any excuses, were they? They had no idea what they were getting into. All they knew is they were being drawn and they wanted to come and worship Jesus. I believe today people have the same opportunity to worship Jesus, but you know what? We all choose whether or not we're going to worship the Lord. And I ran across this statement. I want to share it with you. Sometimes we don't seek God, but He's not that hard to find, is He? But one statement I ran across said it this way, some people can't find God the same way a thief can't find a policeman. Think about that. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time, doesn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do when they realized after they ate of the fruit, God told them not to eat? They hid. If you and I reflect on our own lives and we think about the times we haven't truly worshipped God, it's not because God necessarily ran away. It's because we've chose to not search. Or maybe like Herod, we search with the wrong motives. It's interesting that these wise men came and brought, not only declaring Jesus is someone worthy of worship, but they brought something of value. They brought three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, the royalty, he's a king. The frankincense, perhaps of his deity, some have said the myrrh, which is also a spice that's used in embalming during the first century. Perhaps it gives us a little glimpse of where Jesus is heading as this baby was born to be the sacrifice for our sins. They worshipped him as God as they brought him gold. And one person said it this way, Jesus is king, your wealth belongs to him. Did you know that? He's God, your worship belongs to him. And he's savior, your witness belongs to him. As these wise men pause and travel to worship the Christ child, help us to remember that God is at work to bring people to worship him. And that's all people, by the way. Because Jesus was born, he was a Jew, he was born into a Jewish family, but right here, right off the bat, God is calling people from another nation, from another ethnicity, if you will, to worship God. When I read the back of the book, so to speak, when you read in the book of Revelations, what do you see in Revelation chapter 5? You see a scene in heaven where it says, John says he saw people from every tribe and language and nation. Every ethnicity all bound together. Why? Through Jesus Christ. God is calling people all over to worship him. 
But something else we see in this story that God is doing, and I'm going to give that to you now. Point number two, God does his work even in a world of sin and evil. We see God working to call people to worship him, but also it's important for us to see that he does that even in the midst of this sin and this evil. We know something about sin and evil today. It hasn't gone anywhere. But as I was looking at this passage, I want to share a little bit with you about this man, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a great politician in some ways. You don't read about it here in the scriptures, but you read from a historian named Josephus and others in the first century a little background about Herod. This was in the first century. Herod originally, he's not actually Jewish, he's Idumean, and then he married a Jewish lady who later he had killed. So this guy's not exactly stellar. But here's what he did. You remember a guy in history named Mark Antony, who was kind of running things for a while? Well, Herod was on his side. He was letting Mark Antony know, I'm going to be with you. Well, then Octavian and Mark Antony, they fought, right? And then who became Caesar? Octavian became Caesar Augustus. And Herod, he was a politician. He knew how to play both sides. He went to the new Caesar Augustus and said, Caesar Augustus, yeah, I used to follow Mark Antony, but, but if, you, if you bring me along, I'll follow you. I'll give you homage. I'll be your go-to guy. I'll do anything you need me to do. And Caesar Augustus liked him. And that's how he became what we, what we see in the Bible as, as the king of the Jews. He wasn't really the king of the Jews. Rome ruled anyway. And what Rome really wanted was people in places and all these little places they took over to make sure that things were in place as long as nobody tried to go against Rome and as long as the taxes kept coming in, they were happy. Herod had three of his sons killed in the course of his lifetime. His wife, Mariamne, and his wife's mother and his grandfather One historian said it like this, said he attained his kingdom as a fox, he ruled as a tiger, and he died as a dog. He built the great temple. It was huge, 1.55 million square footage of space, a large temple. He divorced a few wives. He had a lot of issues. At one point, he tried to kill himself. In fact, at the end of his life, he died a painful death from a bad disease. He knew that he was so hated and he was, he, was, he was so feared, he ordered that on the day of his death, I'm going to set aside these people, and the day that I die, I want them to be executed. You know why he did that? He wanted to make sure somebody cried on the day of his death, and that was his way of securing it. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and they didn't kill those people. But even Caesar Augustus, it is said said this statement. He said, it's better to be Herod's pig, which would have been considered unclean, right, by Jews. It's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. What a cruel man. Fascinating character to study, but sad. And as I was studying the different documents, there's all these times where he massacres people and has people killed. But one thing that was interesting was the only account we have of him killing those under two years old, is in our scriptures. And as I thought about that, I know it happened because God wrote it down. I thought, well, why didn't they record that? And as I was reading, it dawned on me, this man is so evil and so cruel that killing everybody under two years old was just sort of a blip on the radar 
even as we recoil at the thought. One person said it this way, listen to this. There may have been as few as 20 children involved based on this is how many people lived in the area. Maybe it was only 20 people, 20 kids who were killed. We don't know. But a relatively minor incident in Herod's career worthy of little notice because ancient historians who concentrated on great military and political exploits. In other words, this was just a blip in the radar for some of the evil things that Herod did. Let's go on to read a little bit more in the scripture about Herod as we talk about this idea of God working in the midst of evil. Look at verse 16. We haven't read this yet, but I want you to see what happens. Then Herod, remember the wise men tricked him. When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. Here it is. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And he's going to mention Rachel. Rachel is an Old Testament character who weeped over her sons. Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, for example. Listen to this. This comes out of Jeremiah 31, but I'm going to read verse 18, Matthew chapter 2. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted, for they are no more. There aren't many things quite so sad and heartbreaking as the thought of a mother losing their child. It's backwards, isn't it, from the way it's supposed to be? I'm a pastor. I've, I've been to many funerals. I've preached many funerals. I've preached many funerals of people in their 80s and people in their 90s. But I have preached those funerals of a child, of even a baby, of a 20-year-old. And it's always sad to see a group of siblings bearing their mother or their father. But at least it's quote-unquote normal in some ways. You live a good long life, and God bless Dad. He lived 90 years, and, and, and we're going to be sad, but he's in heaven. and It's always sad. But to lose your child, it's backwards, isn't it? That, that's not how it's, a quote, supposed to be. There's just nothing much more sad or, or heartbreaking to think about than a mother weeping for her child. I'm a dad, and I can think about myself weeping for the loss of one of my children, but there's just something about a mother weeping. And as I was studying, I came across this with this idea of Rachel weeping for her children. I want to share it with you, so listen to this. You see, if we have ears to hear, we can hear Rachel weeping bitter tears whenever anything happens that is contrary to what is, quote, normal when she told of her favorite son's brutal death, when Jerusalem was destroyed and many of her people taken into exile, when Herod killed all the babies in and around Jerusalem, when six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, and any time in the world when desperate mothers huddle with their children on cold nights in run-down, rat-infested buildings in our nation and all around the world. To be sure, there are many children for whom Rachel is not weeping. Children and grandchildren, maybe like yours and mine, happy children like those in our congregations. And we give thanks to God. And she says this, Yet I believe 
Rachel continues to weep today about many all around us. We still live in a world where there's weeping. We live in a world where there's evil. And I hope that as we've read this story, I hope it didn't just gloss over us. I hope it sinks deep into our souls at just how cruel and how outrageously evil this story is. But I imagine in our crowd and as we think about our own lives, we see evil all around us. We see heartbreak all around us. I thought about the Christmas story, especially this year in 2020, that one of the one of the secular songs is this the most wonderful time of the year. But in that it says, I'd never thought about it before, it said there'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. You remember that? And then it says there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And I thought scary ghost stories and tales of other Christmases. But then it hit me, maybe this year in 2020, I imagine there's people all around us who have had a Christmas and who've had a year that's like a ghost story more horrible than any horror movie that we could ever put on TV. There's people who's lost things they never thought they'd lose. There's people who have gone through things that they never thought they would go through. We live right now in a time of fear. That's what drove Herod. It was fear. He he thought he's going to lose his quote-unquote power. We live in a time of of ugliness. And and as a pastor, as I think about all the counseling I've done over the years with families, I I shudder to think of of what evil lurks behind some of our closed doors of isolation that people have had to struggle through this year. As I was studying, I found this out. In the United States of America in 2020, for the first 11 months, this was before they could tally up December, but homicides in America are up 40%. And they are able to solve the least amount they ever had because it's it's right now because of the pandemic. And I say that not just to be depressing, but to say, on the one hand, I hope to God that there are people out there, and I know there are, that are doing good things, that are helping people, that are serving people, that are making a difference. But be on guard and keep in mind that we live in a world where evil still exists. And rest assured, there's going to be evil all around us. But also, my whole point with all this is to keep in mind that God is still at work, even in the middle of evil and sin. Even in the middle of this story, when God was preparing a way to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world, nothing stopped His plan. Even though there were parents who were weeping, there were moms who were crying like Rachel weeping for her children, even in the midst of those things, somehow God is still at work. If God was at work in those things... Do you not think that in your lives and in my life, do you think God's still at work? Do you think God has taken a vacation and forgotten about us? I don't think so. God is still working even in the midst of sin and even in the midst of evil. I want to share one more thing with you, and we'll read a little bit more of this passage, and this is our last point. God will complete His work for His glory. Third point, God will complete His work for His glory. We stop reading in verse 18 that sad verse about Rachel weeping, but let's go to verse number 19 and read the rest of the chapter. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Remember, Jesus was in Jerusalem. The angel told him to go down to Egypt, so he's in Egypt. Now he's in Egypt. Herod the Great dies. And here's what the angel says in verse 20. Rise, 
take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel who sought for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, oh, this is Herod's next appointed guy who's going to run that area for Rome. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. If you noticed all through the chapter, Matthew keeps using this phrase, this was to happen as spoken through the prophets. This was to fulfill the prophets. Do you see what's happening? Matthew is letting us know that God has a plan and God's going to complete his plan for his glory. Nothing is going to stop it. When I think about Herod, it's, it's fear I can't help but think that drove him. He was afraid that this child was going to bring, was going to take his kingdom down. But what I think Herod didn't understand is that it's not, it's, it's, it's not just that this baby is going to take over his throne. He's coming to start something totally different that has nothing to do with this nation or that nation. It's bigger than that. It's going to be God himself ruling and reigning in the hearts and lives of his people. That's where God is heading in this story. Matthew is letting us know that God is going to work these things out for his glory because he has a plan to bring salvation. I wonder if maybe like King Herod, I hope none of us are exactly like King Herod, amen, but I hope that we're not like King Herod and that we're living in fear not necessarily of God, but of each other. In times of pandemic, in times of so much turmoil, just look on social media. We live in fear. We, we pit ourselves against each other. Who, what, what political party are we? Or, or what, what, what group do we belong with? And if we're not careful sometimes, what got Herod all spun up at the beginning was his own ego, but also this idea that someone else is going to come in and, and take the power. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that the survival of Christianity is if we could just get the right plan going. One person said it this way, I hope we don't think that the survival of Christianity is the power of a better Pharaoh or the aggression of a better Caesar or maybe the front seat in the court of a better Nebuchadnezzar. You say, oh, we're not like that. Maybe if we just get the right president, maybe we are like that. Maybe if we just have the right political party. But listen to this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the announcement of the baby in the virgin's womb, all the way forward to his resurrection and second coming. You know what it shows us? It shows us that the power and wisdom of God came to us in a strikingly different way than the way the world many times has to offer. And friends, in a world where things are tumultuous, that is good news. I pray that we do not lose focus, that God will complete His work, and He will complete it for His glory. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of all this fighting amongst different folks, I wonder what it would be like if God's people said, God, we're just going to focus back on you and walk with you and trust that you have a plan. 
As we close, I want to share one more passage of Scripture with you in Revelation chapter 19. When I think about all the hardships surrounding God incarnate, God being with us, that is, the first coming of Jesus coming as a baby, and how God's plan was fulfilled. Matthew's going to say it time and time again, this was to fulfill, this was to fulfill. Well, guess what? God's got another prophecy coming, and it's going to be fulfilled too. I want you to listen, or you can turn there to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, because this is what's coming. All those prophecies we just read about where Matthew says, by the way, this fulfills Bethlehem. By the way, this is just like when Rachel was weeping for her children. By the way, remember how I led Israel out of Egypt? Well, I'm going to send baby Jesus down to Egypt, and then I'm going to take him back out of Egypt. Does this sound like the same story again? God is sending us a message that he's got a plan, and he's going to work it for his glory. And this is the next big thing on God's calendar. Listen to this. And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Uh, the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. The tread, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, in verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Empires can come, empires can go, countries can have dictators, we can vote on our folks, all those things are going to come and go, but one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make all things new. And that same Jesus who's going to return in a second coming, one day, it's the same Jesus who calls on you and me to worship Him. My prayer is that we look around us and see that God's at work in your life. He's at work in my life. He's at work in your family's life. And let's worship Him. And let's give Him the honor that is due His name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look forward to the day when you return, God, we admit that we live in a world that is sinful and that is evil. And we can look all around us to see those things. God, truth be told, we can look in our own hearts and see where we've rebelled against you. God, I pray that as your people, we would commit ourselves afresh and anew to you in 2020 as we prepare for 2021. May we be among those who seek you out and worship you. God, may we see your plan, and may we simply worship you and join you in this world to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sins. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.